Um, and so tonight, I'm a priest. Um, you know, you may have wondered why, you know, sometimes we do psalms, sometimes we do narratives from the Old Testament. Tonight, we, we read a section out of the book of Numbers, which is not the book most of us go to when we're looking to read something out of the Old Testament. It's a, rules about priests and Levites and about caring for, for worship in the Old Testament. And in Hebrews, what it's doing and what the author of Hebrews does is it sort of brings up these themes of, of priesthood again. The, the writer of Hebrews goes in the first century and says, we need to understand that um, even though because we are free, there's still some order and there's still some things we need to pay attention to. You know, otherwise... As human beings, I think we still need a high priest and we need some direction because otherwise, as we saw with the Israelites, um, otherwise we'll find ourselves worshiping idols. You know, the, the human race, we don't need to go into all the depressing things that humanity has done, but when we worship that which is not from God, um, all of us know what the result is and what happens. And so I've titled this sermon tonight, Why We Need a High Priest, because even though we are free, even though we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we need a little extra help. Uh, and, and so, as I said, we are going to be in, in the book of Hebrews, and um, you may see on the screen, chapter 4, through to the beginning of chapter 5. So please follow along with me in your Bible or on the screen, whichever you prefer, but keep your Bible open as we'll be jumping around a little bit. Uh, starting in verse 14. Therefore, the author says, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we, pre- we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins, and he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant, who are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. And this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he said in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have this letter, Hebrews. And just so you know, um, no one's really totally sure who wrote it. For a long time, people thought it was Paul. And then for a while, people thought it was the guy Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke and maybe the book of Acts. And no one's really sure who wrote it. But we do know that, that it was written in the first century to people from a Jewish background, as its letter titled, written to the Hebrew people. And, and it's filled with great theological arguments for the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
I mean, between the book of Hebrews and the book of Romans, they're two of some of the most helpful theological books in the New Testament that we can go to when we have questions about the the personhood of Jesus and the function of all of these things in our life. It intricately ties together the Old Testament and the New Testament in the ministry of Jesus and how it relates to this whole big story that God is telling us. And so I would encourage you, please, don't just look at Hebrews, what we're looking at tonight, but but spend some time reading through it in the next week, two weeks. I always tell this to the youth group. If, if, if you're curious about what to read your Bible, or one day you wake up and you feel like, I should read my Bible. Um, read what we're, what we're studying in church so that it benefits and, and you keep thinking about the things God is putting on your heart. You know, and if you, actually, if you look back at chapter 3, it, we're, we're picking up here in, in chapter 4 in the middle of an argument the author's making. You know, it's talking about who Jesus is, that Jesus in chapter 2, that he's the founder, that God is the founder of salvation, and that when Jews and Hebrew people would think of salvation, they would think of Moses. Moses brought him out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, almost. Joshua brought him into the promised land, but he got him right there. And then he says in chapter 3, before we started reading, that Jesus is even greater than Moses. Though Moses is a salvific figure, which means one who, you know, is, is a salvation figure, Jesus is even greater than Moses. So much so that he begins this argument now of what, uh, that Jesus is like a new high priest. And, and, and this argument tonight is, is not just for first century people with a Hebrew or an is, Israelite or Jewish background. It, it can be used for us too. It can be used for us, this idea of Jesus as a high priest, as, as the priest led the people in worship, so too does Jesus, Jesus lead us into worship and lead us in ways of worship and how we ought to live our lives. And, and, and when I say worship, I just want to be clear, I'm not talking about an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. Um, I'm not talking about, you know, when we go to church, I'm talking about how we live whether our lives are reflecting that which we value most. And so he starts, we're just going to go through it, and then we'll, we'll, we'll break it down and unpack it. He starts in verse 14 basically saying, listen, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He's sort of setting a baseline for all of his audience. He's saying, okay, here's the thing we all have to agree on for the rest of this argument to make sense. Okay, so, so what we agree and what we believe is this, is that we have this, this person, we have this great high priest who has gone through the heavens, meaning that he's gone through the spiritual world. He has, he has died, he has risen from death, and he is seated at the right hand of God. And if we believe this, the Apostle Paul is saying, now, now this is sort of the baseline, right? So if you believe this, then this is where he's going to build his argument off of. And so he goes on in verse 15 and says, this same high priest who went through the heavens also has lived life. He lived life. He walked among us. He knows what it's like. He says he can empathize with what we're going through. He can empathize with our weaknesses, with our temptations, with our hurts, with our pains, with our scars. He too was tempted by sin And he knows what we're going through. And so, in verse 16, he says, we can now have confidence in his mercy and grace. 
In our times of need, if we believe in this Jesus, we can have confidence that because he endured and made an avenue for us that we also might endure. You know, last week I talked about mercy a little bit, and I just want to remind you of that if you weren't here, that when we talk about this word mercy, that we can have confidence in the mercy of God. That what mercy is, is God being fully loving and fully just, and when the two meet on earth with us, it's displayed in mercy. Because even though God is just, and in, in, in our sin and our evil and our weakness requires some sort of justification or payment, that he is also fully loving. And so Jesus Christ is that perfect image of where mercy comes to earth and he gives us a way to be with him. This is the high priest he's talking about. Greater than any high priest they've ever had before. And then he starts the, the, next, the next section. He says in the next verse that we have, he says, you know, as you know in the past, the high priest was selected from among the people. That the people would pick this person as with Aaron way back when in Numbers to offer sacrifice and to lead the people in worship. And that this person was selected among the people. You know, the high priest was a very, as you can tell by the name, right, a very high office. You know, for a a long time, they were the highest ranking. If Israel didn't have a king, they were sort of the highest ranking official. And if you think about the time leading up to Jesus, first it was run by the Greeks, then there was a little break, and then it was run by the Romans. So for recent memory, the high priest in this time has been the highest ranking official among all the Jews. And so when this author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is a high priest, he's not saying that he's a good priest. He's not saying that he is, you know, as close as it's going to get to perfect. He is saying, no, he is the leader and he is the authority. And I love this verse. I love verse 2 so much. This is, this is verse, Hebrews 5, 2 is a great verse for when we are lacking confidence and we're feeling guilty. It says, he is able, a high priest is supposed to, is what it's saying, but a high priest is able to deal with us gently. How comforting is that? That even though we are afraid, and even though we, we sin, and we might fall short or miss the mark, it says that the high priest is able to deal with his people gently. We want a priest who is gentle and patient, don't we? And so then he continues on in his argument and says, so the priest can do all of these things, and the honor of this calling comes actually from God, not from the people. That the high priest is chosen among the people, but it is a calling ordained by God, and he is saying that Jesus Christ was called by God for this purpose. That's the argument he's making. And he says this name, which you may not recognize, in the, in the order of Melchizedek. And if you haven't ever studied him, He's an interesting guy. We did a whole thing, talk on him last January. Um, but he's an interesting guy who sort of shows up in the story of Abraham. And sometimes we think that the Bible is the whole story of God. <laughs> the Bible is just the story of Abraham and his descendants. That God is always active and doing things all over the place. Because in the story of Abraham, Abraham, there's this whole battle and we don't need to go into it. But this guy comes out of nowhere, and he's a king, of, he's a king and, and he's a priest, it says. And him and Abraham actually break bread and drink wine together and worship God together. It's such a beautiful story. It's so good. But so, 
when we read the Bible, we know that Aaron wasn't even the first high priest, even though he was the first priest of the Hebrew people, but that God has been loving and dealing with people all over, and he's saying that Jesus is a high priest in the same way, that Jesus is a new high priest over all the people who represents what God is doing in this earth. And in verse 7, so Jesus, because of his life, we see why Jesus was chosen. We see why Jesus is so special in verse 7. Jesus, during his life, he prayed and he went to God in what he called reverent submission. God set things before him and said, hey, you have a choice to do what is right and a choice to do what is wrong. Much like we are faced with every single day. You know, this is nothing new in in any situation in life. We can do what is right and what is wrong. And Hebrews is saying that because of Jesus' submission to what God was calling him to do, his suffering led to obedience. And he became a great high priest for us. And it's not, I don't want to talk too much about this, but it's an interesting argument when we talk about calling and what God is calling us to. You know, when we talk about the idea of reverent submission and what God might be leading us to. You know, one of the things that appears over and over again in Scripture is when people are operating within God's will, it seems that their life goes much better for them. And yet when people are fighting and straying and doing what they want to do, it does not go so well. And in verse 8, the writer of Hebrews says, and it's because of this, it's because of Christ's obedience to God that he learned the same way we do. And I love this. Even though he was a son. It says, even though he was a son, he had to go through this. Now, this is sort of a hard thing that we talk about sometimes. The idea of suffering. This is, whenever I ask questions of people, this is always the number one block to God, right? How can a good God allow whatever, right? Or how, how if, if God is good and if God is who he says he is, then why is there evil? Then why is there suffering? Why is all of this stuff? Now, there's a lot to that. But here we see a piece of the puzzle. And, and what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. And sometimes suffering serves a very clear purpose, we think of it as end, or mindless, and we think of it as something evil, but actually we, we see through Christ that suffering serves a purpose, and that hardships are for us to learn a way to do things, a way to do things right, and a way to do things wrong. You know, when I see this, and I see Christ, and I see, and I've read through the Gospels, and I know basically what we have in this book about his life, You know, Christ had the choice to live just as we did. It says in Scripture that he walked this earth, that he was tempted. He was probably tempted even more than us. I mean, at one point, the devil actually, the enemy actually goes to him and misquotes Scripture at him, trying to lead him astray. But because of his obedience, it lifted him to a level that made him the high priest, that made him perfect, as Christ was perfect. And as we know, the, this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the offering of a sonship, of becoming a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. And this is why we need a high priest, is to teach us 
how to be that, how to be sons and daughters, because on our own, we don't do it. We don't act like it. We don't act like we're members and sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. We need someone to teach us. You know, I, this is a, a very, very simple analogy that, that probably diminishes it too much, but it, it helps me. Not all of us grew up going to big, fancy dinners, right? Big, fancy dinners and big stately tables, you know, like they have in the movies with like the 50-foot-long table with, with, you know, 100 people around it and all. I remember the first time I went to a fancy dinner. I was 13 years old. And I remember sitting down. You know, I had my, uh, my grandfather's old blazer on that didn't fit me and a, and a clip-on tie, and I looked all goofy and awkward, and I felt like an orphan boy they brought in from the cold with dirt on my face, you know? I felt so out of place. But I'm sitting there, and I remember looking at the table. Why is there three forks, and why is there three knives, and why is there two spoons at the top, and why is there four glasses? I don't know what to do. And I remember embarrassing myself so much. I figured, why would I use this silly little fork? And so I used the big one for the salad. But then when the, the waiter came and took that away, then I realized now I was stuck for the little fork with my steak. And I realized, oh, there's rules. There's, there's a way to do this. You, you know, and you have to learn. And now, to be fair, I still don't know how to act, and I have awful etiquette. But when I was thinking about becoming a son and a daughter of God, this was the thought I had. We almost need him. It's really simple and practical. We need him to coach us how to live life. We need a high priest to coach us and to lead us to worship. You know, we need a high priest to, to, to inspire us through the power of the Spirit to sing beautiful songs and, and, and to read his word. Because otherwise we are out of place and we feel lost. And we know this, that human beings, when they are not following God, stray off and, and, and do whatever they want. They start worshiping idols. They start worshiping... I mean, look at... It's amazing if you study human history that every single society ever has sort of wondered where they come from, right? And they've sort of created a religion and, and, and an entomology. I mean, the, there's... I think it's... Is it Norse mythology? I think it's Norse mythology, like Viking mythology and everything, believes that the earth was created by a giant cow. Um, or there's some sort of giant cow in there somewhere in creation, you know? And, and you just think, how did they come up with that? Like, like without God, these are the things we think of. You know, we're going to worship a giant cow. You know, you look at the ancient Egyptians with all of their wisdom and with all of their smarts and with all of this stuff. We look and we see what they worshipped and how they worshipped. And it's just sort of, we look at it now and we think, that's kind of crazy. How did they get there? You know, how often are we now tempted to worship idols? How often are we now, maybe it's not bowing down before a statue of a cow. Maybe it's bowing down and worshipping money. Maybe it's bowing down and worshipping material things or power. How often have we strayed from that which God has called us to obedience and we have decided that we don't want to submit to Christ's authority and obedience in our life, but rather we want to do what we want to do. And what this passage, I believe, is saying, and the reason we need a high priest, is that our worship, not just on Sunday, but our worship Monday to Saturday, must also be dictated by Christ. You know, we come to church an hour, hour and a half, maybe with fellowship, 
which by the way, we have fellowship tonight downstairs, stay and visit. Maybe with fellowship, we're here two hours. Give or take, depending on how much you sleep, that's about 2% of your week when you're awake in seven days, give or take. What are you doing the other 98% of your week? How are you worshiping God? You know, we come to worship on Sundays to encourage, to be together, to sing songs together, to connect with God. But worship is a lot more than Sundays. Worship is what you do on Monday. Worship is what you do on Tuesday when you're alone. Worship is what you do on Thursday when you have that opportunity to, to, to do something that's not totally moral but would really benefit your career. You know, and what's amazing about this whole thing about a high priest is he's talking about how great it is to follow Jesus as the high priest and to let Jesus teach you how to worship. And then the author of Hebrews actually continues in chapter 5 and 6 and he begins to talk about apostasy and immaturity in the church. And it's amazing because he's saying, listen, it's a contrast. If you're not worshiping Jesus as your high priest and you're not turning to Jesus for everything, what will happen is as you go on, you will just begin doing the same things over and over again. And he says, you will be like children. If you're not worshiping at the feet of Jesus Christ, you will be like children who still need milk. You should be having solid food, but instead we have to hand feed you milk because you're like little babies who can't take care of yourselves. He says that if you read on in Hebrews. And the mature believer, the Christian who, who submits to Christ, and submits to the worship that Christ gave us, is the one who the New Testament considers that mature believer, the one who can then lead others to the same. And, and when we talk about Jesus Christ, I just want to make a, a couple of mentions here about what he actually has called us to in worship. If you read the book of Matthew, in chapter 5 and 6, we have this thing called the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. And if you ever wondered, how do I be more like a Christian? How can I live a life that honors God during the week and when I'm not at church and when I'm alone? Um, Just spend some time in Matthew 5 and 6, and you will have enough for 10 lifetimes. Okay, so here's some of the things Jesus says. You don't have to go there, but just take my word for it. He says, where we get the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, not if you pray, he says, when you pray. So he says, if you're a follower of me, then you will be a person who prays. So you can spend more time in prayer. He also says, and we don't like this one, not if you fast, but when you fast. So so it's not even an option that, that you have to live a life that practices fasting to grow closer to God. He says, when you give to the poor. When you give to the poor, this is how to do it. When you love, or, or, or to go and to love your enemies. To be grateful and full of thanksgiving. I mean, just these things right here I look at, and I think, okay, I definitely could pray a lot more. I don't remember the last time I fasted. Um, I don't give to the poor a lot because I'm very jaded and cynical, and, and, and I kind of doubt that the money is helpful. When was the last time I loved an enemy? I don't remember. I have plenty to work on. And so when we talk about worshiping and going to Jesus as the high priest for our lives and all we do, there is plenty that we have to do. And I want to let you know, remember what he said in verse 2, that the high priest is able to deal with us gently. You know, there's a great story in Mark chapter 4 
uh, about the bleeding woman. Many of you will remember it as I say it. There's a woman who has a problem and she's been bleeding. We don't know anything about it. It just says that she was hemorrhaging for years and she couldn't be healed. And in the, old te- or in the, in the first century, that would have created a lot of other problems in her life, socially and, and, and everything else. And she reaches out and touches Jesus' cloak without him knowing, and she's healed. And all the disciples, or Jesus stops. He says, someone touched me. And he's in a huge crowd, and all these people are trying to get to him. His disciples say to him, Jesus, what are you talking about? Everyone's touching you. And he says, no power left for me. Someone reached out to me for a purpose. And this woman realizes what's happening, and she realizes that Jesus knows because she's felt that she's been healed. And so it says in Mark chapter 4 that she goes to him fearful and trembling. She goes to Jesus as her high priest fearfully and trembling and sort of afraid. And she's like, it was me. I'm so sorry, you know. And Jesus amazingly doesn't condemn her, doesn't... He looks at her and it says in Mark that he calls her daughter. He says, you're my daughter. And you're healed now because of your faith. We don't have to be fearful when we go to God. Christ is our high priest and he has offered us grace and mercy and love. And he deals with us gently. You know, there's one other passage I want to share with you real quickly. Uh, I was reading this just recently, and it, it, it's so good. You know, you read through the Bible, there's lots of stuff about false teachers. Uh, and there's lots of stuff about following people other than God. And this image to me made so much sense. Um, Michael, will you go to that slide I made? Um, I, I was, last couple of days, I was really fortunate. And I had the opportunity to be in Stockholm. Uh, for a youth conference, and I was teaching for youth from all over Europe um, about prayer and about abiding in God. And one of my favorite things to do when I go to a new city is to go for a jog in the morning, and you kind of learn the city by getting lost, you know. Well, so on Friday morning, I was jogging in Stockholm, and this was the sunrise, um, just over one of those little bays and waterways they have, if you've ever been there. And I was thinking about it, and I remembered this, and this, this quote is from Isaiah. But I want to read this to you, and I'll read you the the sort of whole thing. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they do not speak, if they will not speak according to his word, it is because they have no dawn They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. And they will turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into the darkness. Way back when in Isaiah, Isaiah is saying to the people, if you don't turn to God, your life will be like a life without a dawn in the morning. How awful would that be? <laughs> How awful would it be? And, and especially up north in Stockholm, they really like the sun because it raises late now and it sets at three in the afternoon or something. I mean, it's only going to get worse. But imagine a life, imagine a life where there's darkness but no dawn coming. This is what the prophet Isaiah says is like when we live without going to Christ, when we live without going to God in worship. As I've said again, and I've said before, and I will continue to say, this is why we cannot follow men and women 
no matter how charismatic, no matter how smart, no matter how wise, no matter how good their book and, and, and that video and that YouTube thing, we cannot follow people. We are all servants of this high priest, myself included. And if I ever say anything in opposition to Christ and the teachings of this book, tell me and we can talk about it. Because I am not here to be a high priest. I am here to be a servant of the high priest. And the reason we are all servants is because there was one person who lived this life and who didn't mess up. There was one person who who lived this life and showed that he can resist the temptation that we all face. And there is no man or woman who can claim that on this earth. Jesus Christ is the only person who can claim that he withstood temptation. And yet he still suffered for us. And so I just want to remind you and encourage you tonight. Worship is not Sundays. Worship on Sundays is when we gather together and celebrate our worship Monday through Saturday. Worship, uh, when we gather on Sundays, is, is when we meet and hang out and fellowship and sing songs. But your worship is so much more than that. So my encouragement to you is go to the great high priest. He will deal with you gently. He will love you. He will care for you. And if you reach out to him like that woman in Mark chapter 5, if you reach out, he will call you son and he will call you daughter. And he will forgive My prayer is that you would find more ways and more times this week, next week, at work, with your family, with your friends, on your own, to connect with this great high priest. And that you would sit at his feet and learn. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for dealing with me gently. Lord, I confess that that I have sinned. And Lord, I am grateful that I have found forgiveness in you. Thank you, Lord, for dealing with us gently. And so, Lord, as, as, as we acknowledge our shortcomings, as we acknowledge our struggles, Father, we come to you asking for wisdom and for guidance. As you have become the new high priest, Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would have wisdom, that we would have knowledge and understanding as we live our lives. That our lives would not be going through the motions. That our lives would not be empty, Lord, but our lives would be worship. That our work and our relationships and our time spent, Lord, would be worship to you. Lord, thank you for sending this high priest. That we might have a way, an avenue, to be with you for all eternity. So while we eagerly await that day, Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit until that day comes, that our hearts would be renewed and that we would bring light and dawn to this earth, that others would also see and enjoy the light. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.